As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. There was one night I stood in there. Yeah, I asked him if I could stay in the bedroom. And he let me stay in the bedroom. And I was like, Michael, you can stay, sleep on the bed. And he was like, no, 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 you sleep on the bed, sleep on the bed. We're like, no, 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 yeah, no, you sleep, on, you sleep on the bed. And then he finally said, okay, if you love me, you can sleep on the bed. I was like, oh, man. And so I finally slept on the bed. I can't do it. I can't do it anymore. I can't take any more stories about these sexual abusers. I can't take it. I watched four hours of Michael Jackson on the Leaving Neverland documentary. I watched like six hours of R. Kelly on the Surviving R. Kelly documentary. And before I could even record this, R. Kelly dropped another interview with Gail King, putting on his best uh, Trapped in the Closet Part 54 theatrics, right? What is going on? These guys love their sexy time so much. They love it so much. They cherish it. They love the abuse. They can't stop doing it. (laughs) So if you're a Michael Jackson stan... Uh, turn back now. You're not going to like what I'm about to say. That's a, that was a teaser a little bit. That was a, or a plot spoiler, excuse me. Cause what today's show is about on the, on the special about Michael Jackson and the leaving Neverland documentary, we're going to take a look, of course, at Michael Jackson and his sexual allegations. I will be providing my unsolicited and unwanted opinion for you. And we're going to address all these questions around these allegations, at least from my perspective, right? I've got a certain filter, a certain conspiracy, Illuminati, occult agenda filter. I'll tell you what I see. We're not going to get too occulty today. This is going to be more down to earth than most. Because honestly, like the, the whole case has a bit of gray area. You could argue either side of this case. 
which is why I'm going to explain to you the format of today's special. I'm going to give you the two viewpoints. First, I'm going to put the hat on of Michael Jackson is guilty and he's a pedophile. Then I'll give you the other viewpoint, the other side of the story here, that he was just an innocent guy and he was just a, a weird dude and he just loved kids. He loved them. <laughs> he loved them so much. Uh, I shouldn't laugh. This is not funny. It's absurd, in my opinion, that this happens. And I'll explain to you, which which is a good segue into part three, which I'll tell you my opinion about this, okay? And I'll also give you a plot spoiler on that. I think it stems from a larger problem, and that is the influence of the entertainment industry and their abilities for MK Ultra mind control. I mean, honestly, like, how could I know what really happened at Neverland Ranch there? I, I wasn't there. You weren't there. I wasn't there. There's two people there. One of them's dead. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe he's dead, right? In fact, if there was any celebrity that I think actually did not die, it'd probably be Michael Jackson. I know I've talked about Tupac before, but Tupac didn't have Michael Jackson money, nor did Tupac have Michael Jackson's problems. So if there's anyone who could get away with it and the desire to do it and just wacky enough to pull it off, it would be Michael Jackson. Anyway, so some main takeaways from this intro. I don't know what happened, but neither do you. All we have, much like a courtroom case, all we have is this, the, the testimonies, the witnesses, the evidence. And look, sometimes our sometimes you watch these documentaries and they are deceiving. That's what it's all about. It's all about pitching a certain angle. But in the third part I will defend the reasons why I believe Michael Jackson did in fact do this. And another caveat, if you have been with me a long time, you know my second book was Sacrifice Magic Behind the Mic, and it was all about hip hop conspiracies. In this book, I had several pages devoted to Michael Jackson and all of his occult eccentricities. So I want to readdress that because reading back through it, I can see that I alluded to the idea that he was actually innocent and he was just being picked on by the, you know, the Illuminati, we'll call them more like the music industry, Sony and so on. And while and in part three again, I will be talking. I will be addressing this. Why did I change my mind? Well, I watched uh, six hours of video about this, and uh, I I've got some pretty good basis of why it's true. Let's get into it. Viewpoint one. Let's put on the hat of Michael Jackson is guilty. Of course he's guilty. Of course he's molesting these kids. What were you thinking? What kind of grown man builds an amusement park and has Disney bullshit all throughout his house and Peter Pan and he <laughs> has strange young boys sleeping in his bed? 
I mean, did you did you even watch the Martin Bashir documentary Living with Michael Jackson many years ago? Where he talks about how sharing his bed with boys is the is the uh, nicest thing you could do? Did you listen to Wade Robson and Jimmy Safechuck on the documentary, the four hours of testimony and their experiences? How could you not believe that? How could they come up with such graphic terms for the appalling things Michael made them do? Allegedly. The uh, and, and also, by the way, I forgot in the intro there, we're going to throw allegedly in front of everything because, again, I wasn't there. I don't know. This is just my opinion. And also, if you're sensitive to talking about sex and sexual terms, that will also be discussed here. I'll try not to be too graphic, but yeah, I'm going to be graphic. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, again, trigger warning for those that cannot uh, make it through. Turn back now. Like Wade or Jimmy, I don't remember which one of them was talking about how Michael wanted them to get on all fours and open their buttholes open. <laughs> what? What is going on? What is that all about? And uh, and the list goes on and on. They had a ton of stories. None of them too appealing. So, you know... Have you have you considered why would Michael Jackson ask the moms to have their boys live with him for an entire year? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And it wasn't just um, Jimmy and Wade giving these sort of testimonies. It was their families and their, you know... Uh, Mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. It was a whole gang of people on there. So they'd have to all be in on this. All be great actors. Because I've heard, I've heard some people say, oh, they've had so many years to practice this act. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're lining up to tell the world how Michael Jackson sexually assaulted them. Because as a, a man, there's nothing you want more than to let everybody know that not only did their god and hero do some appalling predator stuff, but you had um, partaken of some homosexual activity against your will. Our country is not ready for those type of things. So Now, the reason Robson and Safechuck waited so many years after Michael's death to reveal the truth it was because of the psychology of a, the victims of abuse, right? Like, a lot of people are kind of shitting on these two saying, like, oh, why'd they wait till after he was dead to say anything? Well, they waited, like, four, five, six years after his death. And you have to understand, you have to go a little bit deeper than the surface level. You have to understand that psychology and the human mind is a real messy thing. Michael befriended these children, children who are the most impressionable entities on this planet he befriended them and not only did he shower them gifts and not only did the, he give them the pride in saying they were friends with michael jackson are you kidding me i was watching this i was watching this thing because i grew up in the 80s too and like i loved michael jackson until like 
I don't know, early 90s, I became a little older and like his music got a little dumber. And uh but man, 80s Jackson was fire, right? And I remember watching this and thinking I remember thinking man, maybe it was worth it, <laughs> you know? I mean, these kids were like hanging out with Michael during the, the 80s. They were going on the set of Indiana Jones and hanging out with Harrison Ford. So like part of me thought, man, maybe maybe this wasn't so bad, right? Of course, that's not a funny joke, but but I, what the point I'm trying to get across here is that Michael Jackson had a special place in these kids' heart, okay? He made them also feel responsible for, responsible for his well-being. He coached them into lying for him. He basically MK Ultra mind controlled them. So of course this took years for it to wear off. Michael Jackson's lawyer tried to plant seeds of doubt into Wade Robson's story when he cited Robson's 2005 testimony. From CNN here, I got a little blurb. Jackson was acquitted of child molestation charges in 2005, partly based on the testimony of Robson, his sister, and his mother. It's absurd, said Tom Messerell, the lawyer who successfully defended Jackson in the trial. He was one of the strongest witnesses for the defense at Michael Jackson's criminal trial in 2005. He was adamant under oath that he had never been molested at any time. A housekeeper at Jackson's Neverland Ranch testified that she saw Jackson showering naked with Robson during a visit in the early 1990s, but he denied it at the trial. So, of course Michael Jackson's lawyer would say such a thing. And then I've seen people run with this thing. I've seen people run with this idea that, oh, how could they lie? They perjured themselves and they did it under oath in 2005, so why do we trust these people ever? In fact, uh, my guy, Hiderazzi, shout out Hiderazzi, he sent me a video link of, because we were going back and forth a little bit on, was Michael Jackson guilty? And he sent me a video, some guy I'd never heard of, Razorfish, <laughs> Razorfish, he, and uh, it's a show called Defaming the Dead, I don't know anything about this guy, okay? I tried to watch it, the guy bugged me so much I couldn't take it. I tried it twice. I made it about 15 minutes in, and I, uh, I I couldn't do it. But he is retelling the the theory that someone couldn't possibly lie in 2005 and then come back in 2013 and change their mind. Surely, they only do that for a money grab. As for the numerous Robson revisions, first, he claimed Michael Jackson told him that if he ever told anyone, they would both go to jail. He says Jackson warned they would both go to jail if anyone found out. So for decades, Robson yeah, defended Jackson, saying he never molested anyone. Why he would still believe that bullshit as an adult man in a courtroom in 2005, and more importantly, why he would fail to inform fucking anyone despite being asked multiple times until four fucking years after Michael Jackson. Jackson's death remains one of the many nebulous queries his legal team routinely fails to fucking answer. As such, he switched the story up almost immediately, claiming Michael Jackson coached him in an elaborate form of roleplay over the phone, which he alleged made him a quote, master of deception. On that at least, Wade, we fucking agree. 
The method of mastery over his hapless juvenile victims, you inquire? Brace for some serious psychoanalysis here. But Michael's entire technique, according to Wade Robson's deposition, was to say over the phone, hey, they're trying to take our careers away by lying about us and saying we did disgusting sexual stuff. Let's fight them. Click. The Mephistophelian mind of serial molester Michael fucking Jackson, my friends. And he wants us to believe that programming somehow held for two goddamn decades. Now, I've heard so many voices in Jackson's camp retelling this claim. But seriously, take a step back. Isn't it possible Michael Jackson was guilty and the men who defended him in 2005 were still just under his hypnotic celebrity spell? And then years later, yes, many years after his death, they could, cha they could change their understanding of what happened to them and step forward and say, you know what, this isn't right. In fact, on the documentary, it tells you that the catalyst for them to come forward was because they had their own children. And the initiation into parenthood gave them an understanding of how evil it was for someone to do such an awful thing to such a young boy. So they decided to take a stand against it. Let's talk about the parents here. Oh my god. What kind of awful parent would allow their child to sleep over with a grown man? And don't tell me, oh, it was the 80s, that's how things were. That's not true. And I'll tell you why. I'm going to let you in a little personal story. My father, who's a great man, he was a great man. <laughs> he, uh, If I wanted to sleep over at a friend's house, he would fully vet the situation before I was allowed to do it. He'd go over there, he'd meet with the parents. I didn't really get what was going on at the time. I mean, I was, you know, the age kids do this stuff, like, I don't know, 10, 11, 12, something like that. And he physically would meet with the parents before dropping me off. As an adult, I understand what he was doing now. He, in fact, he wouldn't let me hang out with certain kids, which I'm, I'm sure there are reasons that I don't even know to this day. Uh, and, and background, my father passed away uh, back in 2012, so I can't ask him now, but I'd love to ask him what <laughs> what was going on there. Like, I had certain friends that I'd want to hang out with, and, and he, under no uncertain terms, was saying I could not do that, and I didn't get it. And I wonder, because my dad was in law enforcement, he was a corrections officer at the uh, prison, but he also worked as a, as a deputy sheriff for a moment in time, and uh, I, I wonder, looking back on it, maybe these kids' parents had some, uh, you know, allegations against them or something. Because at the time, I didn't really get it. I was like, why can't I hang out with these kids? And I'm not talking like one or two guys, right? So I don't buy the whole, like, oh, people didn't know back then. Bullshit. In fact, I'm going to go a little deeper. Let's get a little more personal, you and I, right now. <laughs> I... Uh, I almost got molested when I was a child. Yes. Yes, indeed. Let me tell you the tale. And not to discredit or discount or, um, you know, diminish uh, people that actually go through this. Because I, I heard a statistic. One in six boys get sexually assaulted. That's disturbing. Which tells me that you, the audience, the listener, some of you went through this. And, like, that's horrific. And I... And it breaks my heart to hear 
this kind of stuff and to and that's why at the beginning of the show i said i can't take it anymore because i i really can't i gotta move on past all this it's too dark and it's awful and i think it's a bigger problem that we need to talk about and figure out how to fix instead of just saying oh you gotta you castrate them when you catch them and kill them and no the, the damage is already done jackass like they already did the things you gotta stop the cycle anyways what do i know what am i a psychiatrist Back to my story. Back to me. <laughs> I I was like, okay, so you got to understand who I was as a child. I was grounded probably half my childhood. I, I don't know if I'm exaggerating much. I feel like it was about half my childhood I was grounded uh, for bad grades. You know, like I was allowed to have, I was allowed to have, was it two C's? I was allowed to have two C's in my report card. That was it. Everything had to be A's and B's. The most I could get is two C's. If I got more than that, or a D or an F grounded till the next report card. And I was such a stubborn little bastard that even the last report card of the school year, before summer let out, I would blow it and get like three C's or a D, and I'd be grounded the whole damn summer. You ever been grounded during the summer? It's a nightmare. No wonder I went to therapy. <laughs> no, but you'd be grounded... I was grounded all summer and the first marking period of the next year. The The literal rule was until the next report card came out and the grades improved, I was grounded. So between that and me being a smart ass and talking back to my dad, I was grounded like all the freaking time, right? So I spent a lot of time by myself. And one of the things I would I would do is I would hang out in the driveway in the front yard and I had like a, a a freestyle bike, and I'd try like doing freestyle bike tricks, or I'd uh, kick a freaking soccer ball against the wall, or whatever, you know, dumb stuff dumb kids do. And four leaf clovers, I'd find four leaf clovers in the yard, many of them. Isn't that strange? I found I found multiple five leaf clovers. You want to talk about being bored? Go sit in a yard and look at <laughs> for four leaf clovers. Anyways. We had a neighbor across the street that moved in. And I I don't... In fact, let me look this up. Let me give you accurate details. Okay, I'm back. Okay, so I looked it up. Here's how I know. I was, I was 13 years old. This was 1993. So I was either 12, 13, or 14. I don't know, I don't know how the math work, works out on that. But the point being, a movie called The Last Action Hero was coming out. And I was a big Schwarzenegger fan at the time. It says, it says online that the movie came out in 93, so I don't know. I could have been 12, 13, something like that. And I had a neighbor across the street, and it was a, a dad and two sons. And the older son was like this crazy, like, he was this crazy guy joining the Marines, he, or he was like an ROTC or something. He was always marching around the yard screaming. So uh, so give this guy a gun. <laughs> get Get him out there. He's ready. He's ready to feed the grass with blood. And then he had a younger, and he was like, I don't know, like 18 or 19 or something. And then his younger brother, who was either 16 or 17, he, uh, he came over and talked to me one day. And I didn't, you know, I lived in there. We weren't, we weren't like real friendly neighbors, you know, like we didn't, I didn't talk to any of my neighbors ever. Right. We just didn't do that. And the guy across the street, this 16, 17-year-old guy comes over, and he starts talking to me about 
I don't even know. I, I, honestly, I can't remember. We're going so far back. I can't remember what happened a week ago. But he started talking to me, right? And whatever, whatever. I'm out there again the next day, the next weekend, whatever it was. Comes back over, and he goes a little deeper with me. And is like, now he's inviting me. He's like, hey, we should go watch the last action hero movie. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. You know? Because you're at the age where, when you're like 12 or 13, you start wanting to hang out with people that can drive. And I was stoked. He had a, a Volkswagen Beetle, an old VW Beetle, of course, the uh, the Hitler Nazi mobile, why not? <laughs> and I think it was orange. It was like a burnt orange. And I don't, I know this story is going to end very anticlimactically, but like, I don't know why I ended up not going with him, but I was really excited about it. And the point I'm trying to make, and, and I and I never went with him, and I never talked to him again. I don't remember his name, but growing up, just a few years ago, I, I come to the realization, kind of like looking back on that memory and thinking, that's kind of weird. Because when I was 16 or 17, I sure as hell wasn't hanging out with 12-year-olds. I was doing the things that a 16, 17-year-old guy with a car would do. You can fill in the blanks how you desire. Getting into trouble. Hanging out with the ladies. Trying to find the party. And look, man, like, maybe, you know, people are different. Everyone's different, right? Maybe he was just, like, trying to talk and hang out. Like, I'm not, I'm not accusing this guy. I'm just saying, I feel like maybe that's what where that thing was headed. And I don't know, I don't remember, like, maybe my dad said, no, you can't. I don't remember that being the case, though. I remember for some reason it just didn't work out or he never came back over or something. Like, maybe he was just testing the waters. Anyways, the point I'm trying to get at here is I, I can identify with, on a very small level, albeit a, a very tiny sort of level of, of sharing, but I can identify with what these guys, Robson and Safechuck, went through. Where you've got someone who's older and cooler coming at you with gifts and things to do, opportunities that you don't have. And it's very enticing. Now, multiply all that by one zillion because it's Michael freaking Jackson. And, uh, wow. I mean, I can see how the parents get sucked into this thing, too. So, let's, let's finish our conversation about why... On, on viewpoint number one, hat number one, Michael Jackson's clearly guilty, okay? I believe that he could have easily fooled the jury or paid off witnesses to corroborate his story. In fact, that's basically what the documentary tells us. Michael Jackson was reaching out to anyone who could be his defense through his own previous mind control that he'd done on them, any kind of witnesses to get him off the hook. He was reaching back to Safe Chuck and Robson, for the next uh, trial, he did this, I guess, in like 93 and then again in 2005. Plus, on top of that, look at R. Kelly. This guy was found innocent, and there was an actual video of him peeing in a girl's mouth. A 12, 13-year-old girl peeing in her mouth, allegedly, of course. I'm just saying that with enough money, 
good enough lawyers, enough doubt to plant in the minds of the jury, anyone can be innocent. Now, throw on top of all that, that these people are, these celebrities are viewed as gods and goddesses. Uh, yeah, so, <laughs> director Dan Reed, he was on NPR. He even said that he investigated these claims. He said that he initially approached Robson and the Save Chuck stories with a good deal of skepticism, but after extensive research, verified their claims with police documentation from 1993 and also the 2003-2005 criminal investigations against Jackson by the LAPD. He said, we found nothing that contradicted and we found quite a lot that corroborated Wade and James' stories. Now, the argument is that Michael was manipulative and coerced his victims not to snitch on him. He even tried manipulating Martin Bashir in the Living with Michael Jackson documentary when he was lying about all the quite obvious plastic surgeries that he had gone through. And the suntan lotion business is a multi-billion dollar business. Nobody says nothing about that. They do, you know. They're trying to be other than what they are, but that's okay, I guess, right? Are you trying to be other than what you are? No. So when they say things like you've had implants in your cheeks, oh God, you've had a dimple made oh, in your please, chin, please, you've had please. your lips enlarged, oh, please, you've had your eyelids, eyelids reconstructed, eyelids reconstructed. Stupid. None of Come it's on, true. None of it's true. None of it's true. It's BS. They made it up. They lie. They don't want to give me credit for anything. One paper said I had each, because I was growing a little beard, he had each little hair transplanted into his face with a laser, lasered in. How ignorant is that? I can't even grow a beard now? Ignorant fool who wrote such a thing. So don't, don't believe that stupidity. Don't waste your money on it. Because when you're buying it, you're not buying something based on what's true. It's not the truth. It's garbage. So it seems Wacko Jacko was really out of his mind. He fell in line with the behavior of so many child celebrities who grow up to lose control of reality and also the sexual molestation victims where he perpetuated the same actions he learned and was exposed to when he was a child. Okay? Now, let's go to viewpoint number two. Michael Jackson is innocent. If you're like me, you're a sucker for mysteries, true crime. And once you put me back into a period piece with those old flapper 1920s era time frame, you got me. I'm all yours. So let me tell you about this game called June's Journey. We're going to escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance as you immerse yourself into the world of June's Journey, a hidden object mystery mobile game that puts your detective skills to the test. Play as June Parker and investigate beautifully detailed scenes of the 1920s while uncovering the mystery of her sister's murder with hundreds of mind-teasing puzzles. The next clue is always within reach. Now, one thing I like is that it sharpens your vision to look for objects. In case I I ever make it on uh, one of these reality contest shows, i got to harness my puzzle my puzzle skills and my visual acuity. And and I, I learned what a pavilion, <laughs> when I was playing the game, I learned what a pavilion was. It's, it's basically a gazebo. I didn't know that. So I'm learning, all right? 
In each level, you search for hidden objects in New York parlors or, or uh, Paris sidewalks, trying to figure out this scandalous family secret of how June's sister died. It's got some mystery. It's got some danger. It's got some romance. I got the game on my phone right now, and I'm on chapter three, and I'm looking for clues on this crime scene photo because we're gonna we're gonna figure out who did this, and you're gonna love it. They play real like mad chill music, so it's kind of relaxing too. You get to customize your little luxurious estate with gardens and buildings and such. So look, if you're into detective work, solving clues, finding clues, scandalous family secrets. Uh, you just want a fun little escape from the dreaded day job or whatever. This is your game. I enjoy playing it at the end of the day when I'm chilling in bed trying to unwind because it's just a nice little escape kind of game for me. And not only that, poor June, she needs my help to figure out how her sister died. And guess what? June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Michael is innocent because this is just a money grab. Michael made so much money and had so much fame. How could he not be the target of people out there trying to leech money off him? Just siphon a little bit off him. Add in there all of the crazy tabloid stories and... uh, All the sort of odd behaviors this guy had for being the the creative artist type. Then on top of that, throw the fact that this guy was obsessed with kids, loved kids, and that makes it a perfect setup. Some people even went as far as to claim that Michael was worth more dead than alive. Everybody was waiting to get their cut for him to pass away. His own producer of the first albums, uh, Off the Wall, Thriller, Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones, who considered him a brother. After Jackson died, he sued the Jackson estate in 2013 for royalties on This Is It, that, that documentary video that never got really fully properly released of his final 50 shows at the O2 Theaters in London. Quincy Jones won $9 million. So the precedent here goes all the way back to 1993 when Jordan Chandler's father, Evan Chandler, claimed that his son was sexually abused by Michael. This was the first the first allegation that Michael settled out of court. 
And what was curious in my hip-hop conspiracy book, Sacrifice, Magic Behind the Mic, I talked about Carrie Fisher, you know, Princess Leia. She wrote a book, an autobiography called Shockaholic. And she talked about Evan Chandler. That's the father. And she said that Evan tried to entice Michael by saying, you know, my son is very good looking. Michael would eventually settle out of court for $25 million. $25 million. So obviously there's a precedent set there. And that's very enticing for some people, right? So in 2003, the LAPD investigated Michael after the Living with Michael Jackson documentary. And of course, that's the one with Martin Bashir where Michael talked about sharing his bed with little boys. And the LAPD, they found no reason to put charges against Michael. They even pulled the FBI in. They searched the Neverland Ranch, couldn't find anything. This guy's innocent. (laughs) I keep having to tell myself that because I actually don't believe this viewpoint, but I'm trying my best thespian performance here. But another accusation would result in Michael Jackson's arrest and trial in 2005. This is the court case that brought in all of the testimonies of Macaulay Culkin, Jimmy Safechuck, Wade Robson, to testify on Michael's behalf that he would never do such a thing. And of course, obviously later, Robson and Safechuck claim they lied under oath during this uh, during this court hearing. Again, in 2005, Michael acquitted on all charges. A jury found him innocent. They couldn't find anything, no evidence to support this idea. Now, investigative journalist Ian Halperin wrote a series of articles detailing the coincidences surrounding Michael's death. He made the claim, and I'm paraphrasing it a little bit, he claimed that a cadre of bankers, agents, doctors, advisors, they all pushed Michael into his death sentence. They all wanted him to put on this 50-date concert series, even though he was terribly sick, terribly weak, Not in the state to perform 50 shows. Again, they were pushing him because they wanted to make money off the machine. And Ian Halperin, the journalist, he also infamously predicted Michael's death six months prior. He was one day off. This guy knew what he was talking about. Michael himself was half owner to the Beatles catalog. Who owned the other half? Well, Sony Music. Ian Halperin alleged that Sony was lending Michael hundreds of millions of dollars because the banks would no longer loan him money. Why would Sony do that? Why would they let him borrow millions and millions of dollars? Because they couldn't publicly take Michael's half of the Beatles catalog because that would be a, a very poor public image. It's not good optics. But ultimately, that's what they wanted. So they wanted him dead. So they supported his sad lifestyle, his private doctors giving him anesthesia drugs just to sleep, 
pushing him to do this concert series, all these things. Michael even talked about uh, various people at Sony, like Tommy Mottola, the uh, ex-husband of Mariah Carey, said he was evil. That's not the exact quote. Something about him being the devil, I think, was the exact quote. Speaking of the devil, Michael's sister, LaToya Jackson, went on Piers Morgan, and she made a very interesting statement. She said, people come into your life, wiggle their way in, control you, manipulate, control your funds, your finances, everything you have. And that's basically what Michael was saying up till the day he died. He was telling us how, and oftentimes he would use anti-Semitic remarks, by the way. He would say about how they, everyone was manipulating him and how, and it sounded very reminiscent of R. Kelly's recent rant on uh, the, was it Gail Sayers? I don't remember. The show he was on March 6th, where he's, he talks about how, you know, People are just take. He opens his heart up, and people just take advantage of him. But anyways, Michael even publicly claimed that he would be killed for his entire music publishing catalog and estate. How did everybody know he was gonna get killed? How did they know he was gonna die? In 2013, Wade Robson retracted his previous defense of Michael that 2005 trial I spoke about. And he proceeded to file lawsuits against Michael Jackson's estate. Because it's a money grab, right? An NPR, I'm going to read this to you. NPR, it says, The Daily Beast reports in 2013, after a very publicly and re- repeatedly defending Jackson, Robson now says that Jackson sexually molested him for seven years. Two years later, in May 2015... A judge in L.A. County Superior Court, Mitchell L. Beckloff, dismisses Robson's suit against the estate, saying that he waited too long to file his claim. In December 2017, the same judge dismisses the rest of Robson's suit filed against Jackson's two companies, MJJ Productions and MJJ Ventures, because the two corporations could not be found liable for Jackson's alleged behavior. Notably, neither of these judgments address the credibility of Robson's accusations. James Safechuck files a similar suit against MJJ Productions and Ventures in 2014, alleging that Jackson abused him on hundreds of occasions between 1988 and 1992. What's the math on that? It's four years, about 1,200 days, hundreds. That's a significant percent. Anyways, uh, Beckloff, who is the, again, the uh, judge in the court, Beckloff, who is also presiding, the presiding judge in his suit, rejects Safechuck's suit in June 2017 on the same grounds he gave Robson. They're reaching their hand out, trying to take the money, and the judge is rightfully smacking it away. Clearly, Robson and Safechuck were only interested in getting some of that vast estate of money from Michael Jackson. They apparently did not consider floating the allegations without asking for money. I mean, wouldn't they really just want awareness of the evil deeds? Wouldn't they just want widespread awareness of this by making it a public issue? 
if there were so many molestations of all these boys and Michael was just out of control, bringing kids into Neverland Ranch and molesting them, where are the other allegations and, and where's the, the flood of revelations from other victims that we haven't heard about yet? Why is it only a couple of boys? With a monster like that, surely he would have been molesting tons of kids, right? There would have to be more out there. So, in summary, Michael was an eccentric guy who was the target of so many opportunists that it would make your head spin. Robson and Safechuck merely joined the list. These vampires trying to make money off of Michael Jackson. And, uh, and I go a bit deeper on the various conspiracy theories about Michael Jackson's past. Uh, including allegations from his maid saying he was peeing on the floor and how he was keeping dirty diapers and how he was going into MK Ultra mode watching the Twilight Zone and just wild stuff. But they're all wrong. They all got it wrong. Michael's innocent. Okay, so now we're into part three, okay? We're going to have a 3A and a 3B. <laughs> I'm just I'm just luring you guys along 5 minutes at a time. So let's start with 3A, conclusion, a sixth system. And I'm going to preface this with a warning. Another warning for you. I actually wrote this entire analysis out after I watched the 4-hour documentary. I watched the 4-hour documentary, then I watched the Martin Bashir living with Michael Jackson video. I watched a couple of other videos from various people, read a few articles, and came to my own conclusions. Wrote the analysis, and, you know, as far as the creative process goes, I kind of write out the analysis to get my thoughts down, give you a good flow of ideas, and then I record the podcast. Sometimes I publish the article, sometimes I don't. This particular one, I will be publishing the article online. So if you want notes or links, you can go to IlluminatiWatcher.com to find it. But I actually wrote the entire analysis. Uh, yes, I finished it yesterday afternoon. But then last night, I watched the interview Oprah did on HBO with the director and Robson and Safechuck. And... Much to my surprise, almost every conclusion I came up with aligned with her statements on the event. So basically, if you don't like Oprah's take on all this, don't listen. Because <laughs> honestly, what she says is 100% accurate. And I'll explain why. But I just want to tell you that right now. Because I don't want you to think... I'm letting Oprah fill my head with ideas and I'm just regurgitating them. But it's very uncanny how we came to almost the same conclusions. So who's really to blame here? Well, if Michael Jackson really did molest these kids, and again, I, I'm going to foot stomp this. I wasn't there. I don't know. But if he did molest these kids, we could easily argue that he's merely damaged goods and a product of his environment and upbringing. I would go as far as to blame this entire entertainment machine. 
You know, his father, Joe Jackson, didn't seem like a good guy. If you watch the Living with Michael Jackson, Martin Bashir, uh, it breaks your heart to watch it because Michael's talking about how his dad used to beat him with a belt. And I mean, this guy's he's got problems for sure. That's clear. Is it a manipulation? Maybe. I, I kind of don't think so. My gut tells me this guy's just had a lot of issues. He's been subjected to a whole lot. And for whatever reason, that manifested in the abuse of young boys. But his father must have been enticed by this entertainment machine because, as you know, the story, he would whoop his kids in order to get them to, you know, dance correctly, sing, whatever, because they were to be performers. They weren't given a sort of free will to do what they wanted. So his father could very well have exposed Michael to the apex predators of Hollywood. Like we've seen so many times, like in An Open Secret with uh, Brian Singer, the guy from the director of X-Men and what was the Bohemian Rhapsody movie until he got fired. So it seems to me that child molestation is a problem that is generally learned from experienced traumatic abuse. So I'm going to hypothesize that Michael himself was abused. It's very possible. It's very likely that he learned this behavior because he was subjected to it himself. We also have to consider all these hot topics of the Me Too movement, the Surviving R. Kelly documentary, which started the Mute R. Kelly trend. And by the way, there's a a consideration here to stop listening to R. Kelly songs because of all the allegations against him, which puts the people in a real dilemma here because you could stop listening to R. Kelly songs. Like, no one's going to miss it that much. But Michael Jackson? Uh Uh-uh. Nobody's banning Michael Jackson songs forever. And I advocate that we shouldn't do that anyways. I think we should take these things as a learning experience. I think you can't take away the fact that Michael was an extremely insanely talented artist for a while. <laughs> I didn't like his last few albums. I thought they were uh, it wasn't my speed, but but I mean, we'll come back to that. But let, let's finish up this talk about Michael being abused. Uh, Jermaine Jackson, his brother, allegedly claimed that Michael was taken away to late night hotel room meetings with, quote, important business people. And he would return days later very sick. This is, I highlighted this in my book. It's, uh, you know, apparently Jermaine was writing a book about this, but then it never got released. But then he retracted and said, oh, that never happened. Okay. So look at Dr. Conrad Murray. He was the doctor that was attending to Michael when he died. He would give him the shots of, I think it's propofol. Probably a whole cocktail of stuff for him to sleep. But he claimed that Michael's father, Joe Jackson, chemically castrated Michael in order to maintain his high-pitched voice. Quote, uh, this is from EW.com. The fact that he was chemically castrated to maintain his high-pitched voice is beyond words. 
Murray continued, echoing a claim he made in his 2016 book, This Is It, The Secret Lives of Dr. Dr. Conrad Murray and Michael Jackson, in which he accused Joe of forcing Michael to get hormone injections at age 12 to cure his acne and prevent his voice from changing. So, I mean, Michael was abused on some levels. How far does, how deep and, how deep does that go? I don't know. I'm going to postulate it goes pretty dark, right? But to me, there's three big problems here. We've got problem number one. Celebrities are over-worshipped. They are considered modern-day gods and deities. Number two, sexual molestation is a recurring theme. Not just in Hollywood, but in other areas like, you know, look at Jerry Sandusky, for instance. Or uh, Jeffrey Epstein. Look that up if you don't know who that is. Prepare to lose some sleep. Then number three, finally, people have a hard time grasping this concept of the alleged version of Michael Jackson because it doesn't align with their beliefs of who he was. I've spoken about the obsession we've had with celebrities in our culture, the problems with that, how dangerous this game can be. Sexual abuse is just one of many ways in which this social experiment and mind control for the masses has gone tragically wrong. Now, many skeptics of the theories presented for Illuminati blood sacrifices, the Illuminati, of course, being a term for the umbrella organization of any kind of underground esoteric groups that may be running the world, (laughs) But anyways, these ideas that many people scoff at of the Faustian bargain, selling one's soul to the devil in exchange for fame and fortune, well, it's not so difficult to understand when you see the issues and prevalence of celebrity deification. It is a trap for everybody involved. You know who it's not a trap for, though? The handlers. Those at the top of the pyramid, the all-seeing eye. So it seems Hollywood has a very serious problem with people in the industry, whether that be maybe the actors, actresses, singers, entertainers, or the gatekeepers like Harvey Weinstein, right? They have a real problem with (laughs) sexual assaulting other human beings for whatever reason. I don't understand it. I don't know why this is so difficult, but they seem to have a real hard time with it. And it doesn't it's not just limited to Hollywood, okay? Let's let's throw that out there too. This is a pervasive issue with all walks of society. It happens everywhere. I just like picking on Hollywood. The entertainment industry. Because the the fake outrage, the fake morality that they project is quite hypocritical. On the other hand, it seems that people who perpetuate a crime are oftentimes the loudest critics of it. So maybe they're really just trying to stop the cycle and they're really just trying to spread awareness, even though they are very close to it. Like maybe they understand that what they're involved with is not acceptable. Either way, the fact remains that Hollywood does indeed have a real problem with sexual abuse in all of its forms, not just molestation. But I believe it stems from the first point. 
celebrities being mistakenly treated as gods. That's why they're called stars, because, you know, we've got these themes of the macrocosm and the microcosm, magic ritual, Hollywood, Hollywood being the the uh, the magic wand, the wood of the holly tree. It all comes from these pagan esoteric occult groups worshiping gods. The Titans walking amongst us. But the real the real version of Michael Jackson is nothing like what you and I imagine it to be. All we know is the persona, the behavior that the media served up that we've been consuming for many years. You know, the first 10 years of of his uh celebritydom, he was this great entertainer and then they, and then then they pitched him as this crazy eccentric guy. It's sort of like how we have this obsession with building up celebrities and building up the story and falling in love with them. But then we got to watch him get torn down and destroyed, fallen from grace. The fallen angel ritual that we see repeating over and over. But entertainment and media, they push archetypes. We talked about Joseph Campbell and the theory of archetypes, the collective unconscious, Plato's archaic remnants, all these ideas. And one such model of the archetype could be the classic, <laughs> the uh, the molester, right? Chester Molester. The creepy man in the van. Uh, get in a truck and, and I want to push it all the way up. I really appreciate it. Thank you. People can't imagine that one could be a sexual predator while also... Caring for the victims, which is what I argue that Michael most likely suffered from. It's hard for people to recognize that Michael Jackson could be this great entertainer, yet also this horrible monster. There, There is some form of cognitive dissonance to overcome here. Because we tend to oversimplify things. We need the world to be black and white. Someone either has to be all good or all bad. But I think Michael Jackson was like most human beings, a bit of both. A reconciled opposite, as it were. The Baphomet. But there's not a single image of what an actual sexual predator looks or sounds like. People have this tendency to desire a full and comprehensive understanding and explanation of Who is who and what is what? But sometimes it's simply just not that clear. We can thank the dogma of science, the concept of quantifying everything, uh, everything based on metrics. We can thank those lines of thinking for this. People don't want to see the human element in anything anymore. They want to be told which category they fall into, which label they can have, when it's just simply not that easy. It's far more complex than that. For instance, take the jury from the 2005 Michael Jackson molestation case. One of the jurors thought the boy wasn't acting distraught enough for them to believe that he was molested. Sounds crazy. Here's the quote. 
Of then 15-year-old Gavin Arvizo's testimony against Jackson, juror Paulina Cocos said he didn't seem as distraught as you would think somebody who'd been molested would be. But what Cocos found insufficiently distraught is just one of many possible reactions to trauma, says Jennifer Freyd, a professor of psychology at the University of Oregon, expert on psychology of sexual violence. There's not any one response pattern. Safe Chuck and Robson certainly fall into the normal range that we see, but it's not like there's just one way. There's no template or script. Our ideas about the way crime victims act are culturally informed, but what we see on, say, Law & Order SVU isn't necessarily indicative of the way people behave in real life, particularly for male victims who face their own set of cultural and legal biases regarding reactions both psychological and physical, i.e. that experience, experiencing an erection is equivalent to consent. Additionally, male victims are even less likely to, to disclose sexual assault than female victims, meaning there are simply fewer data points from which to draw any sort of conclusion about how men disclose Now, similar accusations are going against Robson and Safechuck. People are saying, oh, they're not distraught enough. They're not, they're not, they don't fill my mind's idea of what it should look like for them. Isn't that absurd? Because the truth is that they may very well be dissociating from the trauma. And this is, again, to go back to my previous statement. When I talked about how I wrote this article before watching the Oprah event, uh, the Oprah event confirmed this. They basically said that they dissociated from the trauma when watching the uh, documentary. Anyways, just trying to tell you how right I am. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, but it did line up with my ideas of what was happening here. This dissociation that I'm talking about is precisely what we talked about in the past. Where did we hear that? MK Ultra Mind Control. The victims who create altars through amnesic barriers to cope with traumatic events. Many people are confused by this because they don't really understand anything about therapy. They don't understand the human mind because it's a very difficult concept. It's not something simple and easy to digest. People want quick headlines, clickbait, sports scores, move on with life. People want to compartmentalize and live in a black and white version of reality because it's easier that way. They're being lazy. Sort of like how Razor Fist on YouTube belittles the victims and pushes the audience to think it's simply not possible that they could have lied under oath and then came out later to tell the truth. Plus, you add in the confusion that a young boy must feel who would be hanging out with this modern-day god, Michael Jackson, which, again, on the Oprah special, you hear them talk about this. Michael Jackson was their god. Telling them what to do was a religious statement. He was providing all of these gifts and opportunities and while also pulling them away from their families, which is like textbook pedophilia. If you watched... What's that show on Netflix? You know the one I'm talking about. The uh, 
Oh, dear. You know what I'm talking about. The one with the guy who ends up messing with the whole family. Anyways, that's always the first thing they do is they pull the kids away from the family. Yet, Michael Jackson allegedly snuck in all these sexual activities in a way that probably actually felt good to these young boys. Isn't Wouldn't that be odd to deal with in your own mind? How long would that take to, to grapple with that reality? Now, these these men, they grew up to be, from what I could presume from the documentary, heterosexual men. But surely there was some form of satisfaction during their time with Michael. So how extremely confusing would that be? And not to minimize what possibly, probably happened here, but if you look at the different allegations of sexual predators here, Michael versus R. Kelly. Look at R. Kelly. He was allegedly peeing in girls' mouths and making them poop in buckets and all kinds of crazy stuff. Michael, on the other hand, was, like, caring for these kids and, uh, you know, treating them well, probably treating them better than their parents did and showing them love. So, like, that's a different thing. They have to, these, these guys that were victims of this, had to grapple with that whole situation where someone they truly loved and felt loved by was causing them harm, and then they had to snitch on the guy. Now, to go a a level deeper on this conclusion, as if you wanted that, (laughs) as if you want a little bit more, I was actually on the fence about this. I was on the fence about my judgment of what happened here because to me it seems strange that at first that the two men in the documentary filed these lawsuits against the estate after they had been supporting him for so many years i mean if all the allegations were true wouldn't there be countless other boys men that had been abused that would be stepping forward um you know some of them would want some money from the estate maybe some of them would not so like to me i I had a hard time reconciling that i thought you know there's got to be at least one victim out there that would want to clear the air without a financial reimbursement because when the money gets involved it clouds the uh the judgment a little bit right so i was on the fence until the last 30 minutes of the documentary this is when you see and hear all the details from all of the Robson family members and going through this this painful spiral that they had to go through when the truth was revealed. Little details like how the mother wasn't allowed to visit the grandchild anymore. Uh, but there there was a lot of genuine raw emotions and, and tears, veins bulging out of their foreheads, you know. It, it all seemed very real. No way. There's no way they were acting. There's no way that was a, a gimmick. And on top of it, after the, during the credits, you see, I, I think it's Robson burning up a lot of the the artifacts of his relationship with Michael. He had the thriller jacket. He threw the thriller jacket in a bonfire. And you're going to doubt this guy? 
I mean, come on. Now, having personally experienced the effects of therapy and counseling, which again, not for anything that serious, right? Uh, but I have gone through therapy and counseling and communication courses and all kinds of stuff. I've read a ton of books on all these subjects. I know that processing traumas can take a very long time. It's a very painful and difficult process to work through. And these the family members' reactions are 100% legitimate. And if you doubt all of these things... It, it it's a curious thing that happens once you go through enough counseling and therapy and understanding how shame works and all of those things. Because when you get on the other side of it, you can easily recognize people that need the, to go through the same process. And they refuse to do it and they shove it down. Why do they do that? They, they, they shove their emotions and their feelings down. They don't deal with it because it is difficult. It is painful. Now, again, you got to, if you do watch all this stuff, watch the Oprah HBO special. It's about an hour long. And um, like I said, I I wrote, I prepared this podcast thinking I had dropped some real enlightened shit. But Oprah basically, you know, she supports pretty much every point I came up with. It's almost the same talking points. So these guys... They had years of therapy. You can you know this from the way they talk, and it even comes up on the Oprah special. And, you know, the one guy's able to talk about how his mom didn't have the tools necessary to work through the trauma that he, that he was subjected to. Do you remember on the documentary? I think it's... Is it Robson's? Oh, sorry, I got the names all jacked up. It might have been Safe Chuck. Anyway, one of the moms, she she can't even hear the poor guy's story about what he went through. Because it's too hard for her to hear. That, my friends, is what I'm talking about when I say that some people need to go through this counseling therapy process. And it's very clear once you do of who needs it. And the mom needs that because she can't even. And and the guy is mature enough to understand that because he's gone through all of this counseling. They say things like forgiveness is a road, not a line that you cross. That's very accurate. Um, they, they have very unsure answers about a lot of the topics they come up with. Like, um, like she asked if they've forgiven themselves and how they, and they still feel bad for Michael Jackson. I mean, these guys are not making it up. There's just no way. And, uh, Jimmy Safechuck, he talked about how he was still disassociating even when he watched the film because Oprah asks how his wife reacted to this, and he said, I don't know. I completely unplugged when it was happening. I checked out. And disassociation comes from, you know, the traumas, like we talked about with MK Ultra mind control stuff, but it also comes from uh, what, what they call the shame button. When the shame button gets hit, you can react in a few ways, and one of those ways is to check out, to distract yourself. This guy still feels shame for this. Something that he had nothing to do with it. He was a victim of. So, and then also, one last thing to plug the Oprah special. Uh, You can, she drops a quote I wrote down. And it's, she says, 
how can you see clearly when you're looking at the sun? And then she finishes the show saying, don't stare into the sun. What is she talking about? She's talking about the victims here, the family members, the, the boys. They were looking up in the sun, looking at Michael Jackson as the solar deity, right? Take this to <laughs> take it back to uh, ancient Egyptian Illuminati stuff. But that is the big problem here is that these celebrities are put up on a pedestal that's way too close to deification. Now, I don't have children, but obviously I know people that do. And without a doubt, something shifts in the psyche of the person that has the child. And that shift is what forced Robson and Safechuck to finally understand what was wrong with what happened to them. That's what made them reveal their truths years later after Michael died. So when you hear people saying like, oh, no, they already went on, uh, went to trial and went under oath and, and said that that never happened. Well, yeah, they mentally weren't in the same place. They were still limited. I mean, why would these two guys want to come out and be hated by so many of Michael Jackson's fans? His fan base is insane, right? Why would they admit all of these embarrassing acts that happened to the entire world? I mean, because this is going to be a huge audience. Then on, th- on top of that, throw in the concepts of toxic masculinity, to- throw in the forced homosexual rape elements here. Men do not want to publicize this kind of thing. Now, what people argue, the the skeptics, they say it's for a check. True. I mean, it could be. I can't deny that the amount of money that Michael Jackson had could be motivation to do such a thing. But I always go back to that gut feeling. Does it make sense that this happened? Absolutely. The guy had all of the signs of child molester uh, traits. He built a freaking amusement park in his backyard. He had little kids sleeping in bed with him. It was always handsome young boys and never girls. It was always the same process of separating the child from the family, showering them with gifts, telling them to lie for him. I mean, of course this happened. Martin Bashir, when he interviewed him, saw the problems too and Michael Jackson claimed that it was the most loving thing you could do to share the bed with a child and then he tried to kind of save face and say that he wasn't sleeping in the bed in Michael's defense he said he wasn't sleeping in the bed but like bro like you got in trouble already for this kind of thing and you're still doing it like if you even if you loved kids you would have to know you would have enough sense to be like, that got me in trouble to the tune of $25 million. I mean, even if, even if you were a pedophile and you were a gross person, you would think that you would think twice about doing it again. But anyways, I'd argue that it isn't inappropriate for an adult to sleep with a child that is not their own. Call me old-fashioned. But it's not appropriate. I would never have a a child sleeping in the same room with me that I didn't know that wasn't my kid 
There was one night I stood in and I asked him if I could stay in the bedroom. He let me stay in the bedroom. And I was like, Michael, you can sleep, sleep on the bed. And he was like, no, 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 you sleep on the bed, sleep on the bed. We're like, no, 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 you sleep on, you sleep on the bed. And then he finally said, okay, if you love me, you sleep on the bed. I was like, oh, man. And so I finally slept on the bed. But it was fun that night. I slept on the floor. Uh, I wasn't sleeping back. No, you packed the whole mess of blankets on the floor. <laughs> what? But Michael, you know, you're a 44-year-old man now. Yeah. What, what do you get out of this? What do you get out of this? He's uh, four. Yeah, I'm four. Uh, I love... Um, I feel... See, I think what they get from me, I get from them. I told, I've said it many times, my greatest inspiration comes from kids. Every song I write, every dance I do, all the poetry I write, is all inspired from that level of innocence, that consciousness of purity. And children have that. I see God in the face of children. And um, man, uh, I just love being around that, that all the time. Are you guys still staying up late? Sometimes I call your house so late. Oh yeah, like, but you tell me. They've stayed in your bedroom? Um, well, very few. But, you know, some have. And they say, is that really appropriate for a man, a grown man, to be doing that? How do you respond to that? I feel sorry for them because that's judging someone who wants to really help people. Why can't you share your bed? But the, the most loving thing to do is to share your bed with someone. You, know? really, you really think that? Yeah. Of course. You're taking a position that you use yeah. every single night that you go into. You sleep and you're sharing it with another. You say you can have my bed if you want. Sleep in it. I'll sleep on the floor. You can. It's yours. I always give the best to the company, you know. Like to him, I said, because he was going to sleep on the floor. I said, no, you sleep in the bed. I'll sleep on the floor. But haven't you got a spare room or a spare house here where he could have stayed? Yeah, but no. Yes, I have, we have guest units, but whenever kids come here, they always want to stay with me. <laughs> they never want to stay in the guest. And I have never invited them in my room. They always just want to stay. They say, can I stay with you tonight? I go, if it's okay with your parents, yes, you can. Did, did, did you, were your parents happy that you were here with, with Michael? Yeah, my mom was all very, very, very happy. And I know they're happy because I was happy. Did they come with you? Yeah, most of the time, but I wasn't really with my parents. I was mainly with Michael. I wouldn't let my hypothetical children go anywhere near a man that slept in the same bed with little boys. Michael and his defenders, they always claim that he, oh, he just loved kids. But it was always these young boys and not girls. But Isaac, what about all the conspiracies? Yes, well, the two things can be mutually exclusive. Michael could be the victim of a musical industry conspiracy and he could also be molesting kids in the same vein that he could make some of the greatest music in history and also be a sexual predator. He could, um, he could be a sexual predator and at the same time really genuinely love kids. In a non-sexual way, of course. So what do we do with his music? He made some of the greatest music of all time. We cannot deny that, right? 
I'm not ready to give it up. And I'm talking like a handful of songs. I don't like everything in his catalog. But I'd offer that we not ban the music because, again, that is part of the dual thinking of extremes. It goes back to the all good or all bad discussion. Instead, I'd offer we use this as a redemption lesson of sorts. Share the story of Michael Jackson. Keep playing the music. Share the story. You can even have sympathy for Michael Jackson. I actually do. I feel bad for the guy. I think he was subjected to some horrific things. It doesn't excuse his behavior, but like I feel like it was more of a mental illness for him. And and look, I don't want to get into an argument of whether pedophilia is a mental illness, but but to sum it up, like I don't have to struggle with the the thought of like, oh, I shouldn't do that because it's a mental thing. His wires got crossed somewhere. Most likely in his childhood, if if all of the uh, psychology of the molestation stuff rings true. So, yeah, he was probably a victim himself. And then perpetuated that. Let's also understand the warnings of celebrity deification. Stop worshiping these celebrities as if they're gods. It used to not be like that. You know, 100 years ago or something. It's also a good time to discuss human sexuality. How do we actually make real progress on reducing the number of molestations that occur? Because right now it's this extreme dual talk of of all the, you know, alpha types out there saying, "Oh, you don't even you don't even deal with them. You put them on an island and chop their dicks off." Well, great. Good way super evolved way of thinking, right? We got to and I'm not saying you got to have sympathy for the 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 pedophiles like it's gross, right? But you got to fig we got to figure it out. It's a problem. It's a huge problem. And we talked about it on this podcast with the uh, Hurricane Harvey Weinstein episode I did last year. R. Kelly's in the news all the time. There's a real problem with the sexual deviancy and the mental illness in this country. So ultimately, I know you're you're like, wrap it up, bro. Yeah, I'm doing it, okay? Ultimately, I'd offer that we stop defending these celebrities. You don't really know them. They're not your friend. They're not the gods that the entertainment industry wants you to believe that they are. What do you think? I want you to now tell me what you think. Hit me up on the socials. Instagram at Isaac Weishop, Twitter at Illuminati Eyes, Facebook Illuminati Watcher, but don't bother because I don't check Facebook. <laughs> you can leave a comment on the website IlluminatiWatcher.com. But let me know what you think. I mean, this is quite the topic, right? What do we do with this? I'm not ready to give up Beat It. Man in the Mirror, that's a great song. Tell me what you think. And uh, as always, stay woke. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.